As a proud supporter of Parkinson's UK, the Focus on Why podcast is supporting this charity by including their Time for Can campaign in this episode. Can't work, can't walk, can't taste, can't talk, can't move, can't eat, can't remember, can't sleep, can't finish, feel ashamed, can't smile through the pain, can't stop the voices, can't make it stop. Parkinson's, the fastest growing neurological condition in the world. There is no cure. Yet we can fund, can fight, can discover, can unite, can transform, can live, can change, can give, can slow, can stop, can reverse, can cure. We can do, but we can't do it without you. Parkinson's UK. Together we can find a cure. Donate now at parkinsons.org.uk. Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question. Why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. Today, I have John Ball joining me. John, welcome. Hi, Amy. I'm really happy to be here. And where are you joining us from? Well, I'm in Spain. Uh, For the last uh, eight or so years, I've been living in Spain, and I'm in a beautiful little town uh, called Javier, and actually staring out at the Mediterranean at the moment. Don't mean to make everybody jealous, but uh, that's my reality. (laughs) I would say I know it well, but that would probably be bending the truth a little bit, because I don't quite remember as much as I'd like to from my experiences of being sort of a one-year-old through 10-year-old, but it's probably changed quite a lot since then, since I was last there. I would imagine, yeah. I mean, it's it's grown out. It's grown a lot, even even changed in the times that I've uh, been living here, which has been, I moved out here, uh, say, when I was about 40 years old, so it's a while back. And, um, yeah, I've seen changes in that time as well. But I actually live in the city of Valencia now. I just still have a place here in Javier and uh, getting away for a bit and actually starting to move out of Javier to go and live somewhere else. So it's a nice time. And why Spain? Why Spain? Well, you know, I I had worked as a flight attendant for 12 years for British Airways and uh, and I loved traveling the world and it was a really great experience, but I had never lived in another country and my parents had already retired and moved out to Spain. And so I just, when I, well, all my work ended up becoming remote and I was just like, hey, hey, can I come and stay with you for a bit? And said, yes. And then after I'd been here a month or so, they said, could you get your own place maybe? <laughs> and uh, so I started looking for, for my own place i found a very nice place in the old town here in javier and um and i've been here ever since i'd say it was about nearly four years ago that i moved to valencia but i still come to javier quite a lot so what is it you're currently doing at the moment a few different things so i do a lot of track work and i do uh coaching i've been in coaching for business coaching personal coaching for over 10 years uh full time and uh, that is mostly with a guy called harv ecker who's quite well known for his book secrets of the millionaire mind and uh, his uh, millionaire mind intensive weekends so i also run a group coaching program for them which is their life makeover coaching and uh, i run their 
financial freedom coaching, their online financial freedom coaching, and their um, speaker uh, trainer training as well. So we do an online sequence of the multimillionaire trainer program. So I run all of these with them. That, that keeps me quite busy. On top of that, I'm doing public speaking work myself and uh, teaching and training other people in public speaking and in the tools of influence and persuasion. These are my passion areas, hence why I started doing a podcast and got into that whole world myself as well. Now, I can't resist this sort of segue. Uh, as a BA flight attendant, that's quite a big departure. <laughs> it was. And you know what? I, I, met, um, I met a life coach and uh, I, I can say her first name. People in the airline uh, MBA who were around at that time would know her. Her name was Sally. And uh, she probably is retired from the airline by now. And people would know Sally, the life coach in British Airways for sure. And she um, introduced me to life coaching for the first time ever. I'd never even heard of it before doing a flight with her and working with her. And uh, and I was fascinated. I thought, oh, I think this is what I was interested in. I'd always had a fascination with psychology and hadn't wanted to necessarily study it, but it was always interesting to me. And then the coaching stuff, which was just so solution focused and so much about transformation and really um, not just keeping, getting people sort of to dive into their memories or their past and relive their traumas and all this kind of stuff. It was actually very much focused on solutions and changing your life and moving stuff forward. It just seemed so positive that, um, my my journey into personal development exploded from as soon as I discovered it. I knew that's what I wanted to know more about it and probably wanted to do professionally. So you're coming into personal development quite late. How how's that really transformed your life? I would say I, I don't think I could really uh, recognize myself to who I was when I first started the journey. You know, the transformation personally has been from really I, I can look back and see how much I was in a victim mentality in my past, how much I felt like uh, life was against me and the world was uh, conspiring to always be problem. There'd always be a problem. There'd always be something horrible coming up. And, and so I, I kind of used to dread life rather than look forward to it or enjoy it and so I see a very different spin on that now I, I certainly don't have a, a victim mentality anymore and and then I live in my uh, own personal responsibility for my life my own personal power all those sorts of cliches in the personal development industry but you know I have a happy life and that's the, that's the main thing and a lot of that is because I've made the choices and I've also let go of so much of the now it seems ridiculous stuff, but so much of the stuff that I was holding on to that, that I felt I had a right to hold on to or had a right to be miserable about and just wasn't ultimately that important. And it's something that you just mentioned about taking personal responsibility. I think that's the crux of everything, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, I, I do sort of believe in... Uh, kind of believe in ultimate responsibility I choose to take uh, ultimate responsibility in my life you know there's uh, people who have said like um, even before we're born we choose the the life that we had now I, I don't know if that's true I don't believe in past lives and all this sort of stuff anyway but um, but I choose to think that that's a useful belief and so I, I can go with that and say yeah okay I can actually go with hey saying I chose this life I chose all the experiences that I had uh, and that are molding me into who I want to become because I can honestly say 
even though there are things in my life I might look back and think, I wish I could change that. I don't really, because I'm actually very happy with who I am now. But that has only been from doing work on myself and accepting I had the power to change things myself. I just didn't think I had, or I kind of wanted someone else to do it for me. I wanted to be rescued rather than rescue myself. And, and it was through taking personal responsibility that I recognized I could do that and, and did do that. And it's funny you say about wanting someone else to rescue you thinking that that's the easier solution but often actually it is easier to rescue yourself I think it's essential to rescue yourself because anything else is disempowering you know there are times like you know if you're if you're in a fire and a fireman comes and rescue you great you may not be able to rescue yourself from always those kinds of situations but in your own life you know sometimes it seems harsh when somebody says no when someone has the the capability to change and transform your life and says no because actually it's going to be much more powerful for you it's going to mean much more to you matter to you if you do that yourself because it is about the journey it's about who you have to become in order to make these changes and and you can't be given that you you can't be given the journey or the personal transformation that somebody might give you you have to earn it you have to work through it you have to deal with all the issues that come up for you and you have to grow and expand we don't always like to think of, we don't always like to have negative challenges in our lives we don't always want to deal with that stuff but without them we wouldn't grow we wouldn't develop we need challenge so this is what i say if you give it to somebody you're actually disempowering them potentially you have to know when it's right to help and assist if somebody can't help themselves or just needs a bit of a nudge along the way but doing it all for somebody is isn't doing anything other than disempowering them in my opinion so how does this work into your podcast and your public speaking what is it you're doing with those elements well a big part of that is that I, I developed a, a deep passion for public speaking years ago. I did some trainings around it and um, got very excited by it. I had never really done it before. I'd done acting. I did drama at university and a few different things. And, and so I've always loved performance in some way, shape or form. But I never wanted to carry on and be an actor. I didn't want to be poor for that long. And I wasn't convinced that I could really, uh, really make it in that industry as well. But um Public speaking became a way of really being able to marry up some important parts of my life. Like I've always liked philosophy and, and, and as I mentioned, psychology as well. And all these things have really come together for me over the period of my life that have allowed me to start speaking about these things more. I get, I get to talk about stuff that I enjoy talking about and hopefully some people enjoy listening to it as well. But I also, along my journey, discovered that there are lots of ways in which we are influenced uh, without knowing that we're being influenced and we are persuaded without understanding how people are persuading us. And sometimes it's not to our benefit. There are certainly times where you know, most of us have been tricked or ripped off or in some way. And if you don't think you have, you probably have and just didn't realize it because it happens to just about everybody at some time. And it may not have been hugely serious, but we've all been tricked or conned in some way, shape or form, whether we realize it or not. And there are certain tools and techniques that uh, come in with persuasion. Like some of the more well-known ones are the ones that Robert Cialdini talks about in his book, Influence, and, uh, and other people who have studied this and, and teach in this area. But some of them have been known about for years by 
con artists and uh, and the people who do all these things and they're regularly being used against people in fact more and more now there's scams everywhere online there's scams everywhere and there are more people stepping up and trying to expose them uh, because they're not always being identified or shut down in time before they do the damage and so a big part of what i hope to do through speaking storytelling and some of the stuff i do in my show as well is helping people to see some of these areas in which they're being um, influenced and persuaded but also to learn the tools for themselves so they can go out and persuade and influence ethically and use these tools in in positive ways to transform people's lives so i'll often bring on guests on my podcast who have done that who use these tools of influence and persuasion for good things in their own life in their business as well as some people who've been on the show who um who understand some of the stuff that goes on behind influence i've even talked to some cult members before now about their experience and how the cults have worked to control them and the things that have kept them in those environments as well and and what's happened with their lives when they've escaped that how they've ended up escaping it and the sort of devastation that that has left behind often in their lives too so there's a, a lot of scope for, for different areas but hopefully enlightening and, and interesting certainly for me and hopefully for for the audience of my show so with these tools of influence and persuasion that you're speaking about, how much of that relates to sort of the hierarchy of our needs? Mm. It is interesting because um, it tends, I think it tends to be the case that if we are, if we are sort of pretty well fulfilled, if we have most of our needs kind of fulfilled, we're probably less likely to be attracted to a lot of the scams and um, cons that are going around because usually they're more attractive to people who are in some kind of desperation or have some major need that isn't currently fulfilled in their lives. And those are things that people are leveraging off in order to trick and con people. So you will often find it's the people who have the least money who are often most susceptible to uh, to financial cons particularly. But no, I don't think anyone's really immune to it. We can, we can all be tricked. Even when you know the tools that get used in these sorts of things, you, you can still get tricked. They're, they're some of these people, the con artists and some of the schemes that they have are very slick and uh, and they look very professional and can really pass themselves off very well, often fooling really experts as well, for, certainly for a time at least. That's so interesting. And, and how much of that is the psychology and how much of that is through language? Well, it's hard to say. I don't know if I could quantify that. I don't think I maybe don't have the the tools myself or the the knowledge myself to quantify that as any kind of percentage. But but certainly it's it's both. Uh, I think the bigger part in my mind would be the psychology of it, that people really uh, are very good at being able to manipulate other people. And um, it's not necessarily the case that the people who are doing cons and tricks and people and uh, intentionally um, working against other people for their own benefit are necessarily evil people. They, they themselves may be somewhat desperate or have been able to justify it somehow in their minds as 
as uh, as being okay. So it's hard to know, but uh, but they certainly nearly always leverage off the psychology more than anything else. But uh, I would also say you know, the words are a huge part because it's nearly always the stories that they tell that leverage off the psychology and and pull people into believing what they what they're trying to sell. And with your podcast, John. You're, you're speaking. You're using the sort of the storytelling aspect and and the speaking and the showcasing of of other people. What was your intention when setting that up? It, initially, it started off as a, a Toastmasters project. So uh, it was is like, well, I think I had been thinking about doing it anyway. I started doing a podcast. I, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think now. Was, uh, over 10 years ago, I started doing a podcast when I was still living in the UK. And um, and I did several episodes and I even had, uh, you know, you've probably heard of Lewis Howes. I'd even been speaking with him and he'd agreed to be my guest. This is bef- long before his podcast was ever famous or anything like that. And, and I never got that far. <laughs> I'd give, I gave up before I even got that far. Uh, sadly, imagine, imagine if I hadn't. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, this time around, I, I felt that I wanted to do something that wasn't just me. I wanted to actually have conversations because I listen to podcasts myself uh, and the ones that interest me the most tend to be conversational. I like listening to people talking about things and it's it's kind of like you, you get privileged listening in rights to a conversation that you might not otherwise get to hear. I sometimes say to people, it's like, you know, if you're sat in a bar or a restaurant and the people on the next table having a more interesting conversation, you might go, shh, I want to listen in. <laughs> I want to listen in. This is really interesting. That that to me is a bit of what podcasting is like. So, so my goal has really been to have guests and, and talk about things that are interesting to me. I try to keep it as much as possible, at least related to the speaking part, the public speaking part, the influence and persuasion part I think that I choose for that to allow me a lot of scope in the things that I talk about on the show my hope is that if I'm finding it interesting that other people will like I recently had a, a learning expert who is uh, you know she her job if you like it her name's Lauren Waldman and, and her job is like translating the uh, scientific information from the latest developments in neuroscience to people who are doing like online learning courses or educational programs in some way to help them have the best teaching ability that they can have and to help the comprehension of the students as best as possible. But they may not be able themselves to interpret the science, but so she's become this like intermediary. She works on helping them to interpret the science in a way that is a bit more sort of a lay person's level of understanding. And it was really fascinating to talk to her. Neuroscience may not be interesting to everyone, but in some way it is relevant because you know, certainly a lot of the people who um, may be listening to my show or tuning in may also be people who are doing online learning themselves or who are creating online programs and learning for other people. And it's interesting you say that because I was talking to a clinical psychologist uh, yesterday when I was recording a podcast and he was saying that there's only... A, I might misquote this, but he's saying that 17% actually are aware of their thinking and in, in the population. And he's trying to increase that level because it was obviously linked to, we were talking about the focus on why, and mm. a lot of people don't actually consciously think about why they do what they do. Uh, so that leads me into why do you do what you do? 
<laughs> I think about this a lot, and um, and, and interesting. I, I know we've spoken about this before, but I, when I had um, Mike Michalowicz on my show, he asked me. He asked me that question, and and I, I kind of knew, and I get, gave a bit of a glib answer when, when I spoke to him. I was, I was half half joking me, but I went and had a bit more of a think about it, uh, and really the reasons why. No, the reason why I started doing coaching in the first place because I wanted to do stuff that mattered. I wanted to do things that would help people and actually um, hopefully be transformative in people's lives and, and may help to make the world a better place, maybe bit by bit, if, at least for some people. And so that's what it started off being. And I think it's evolved and grown from that over time like with the podcast and a lot of the work I do now. I'm very much about wanting to help people, um, to help people think better for themselves, to to be able to see where there is scope for them to develop, to be able to step up and lead other people in those directions as well, to get up on a, a stage, whether that's a, a real stage or a virtual stage, whether that's in their industry or it's uh, in a lecture hall, to be able to talk and to put them, their, themselves and their opinions out there in ways that might be actually transformative to their industry, to, uh, to, to who knows. I mean, uh, there's so much potential for people to inspire others that I, I want to really, I guess a big part of it is starting that chain of inspiration, hopefully for people. So I'd say that that's a big part of it. Other things come into it as well, but the big why more than anything else is, um, I want to. I want to live in a better world, and and I believe I have the capability to help inspire other people to make their worlds a bit better, and that gets knocked on to other people as well, and and hopefully that keeps growing out. So that's probably the the higher level why. And what would have happened if you'd met T. Harvecker like twenty years ago? <laughs> Um, you know, actually, I met, I, I first met Harv in uh, 2007. So, uh, so 20 years ago is a little bit longer than that. But um, it would have, it would have changed, potentially changed my financial situation a lot quicker. I, I was, uh, I was one of those people that was uh, living in my overdraft, uh, living paycheck to the paycheck. You know, I, I'd always, I get maybe a uh, a week where I would uh, be out of my overdraft before I had to go back into it. Uh, and so it, it never felt like I was really getting anywhere financially. And I always felt like I had, I was living with other people's money. You know, I, I owed more than I had. I had like my student loans still to pay off at that time. And, uh, you know, I, I hadn't looked after my finances. I had a little bit of credit card debt and all these sorts of things. And I, I, I just wasn't good with money at all because I didn't pay any attention to it. Um, I tried to ignore it as much as possible. And, um, uh, you know, that gets to a point where you just can't ignore things. Like it's often said that the things in life that we don't pay attention to, we pay with pain. And, and that was certainly true for, for me at that time. And so had I got all that in control like 20 years ago instead of when I actually did, I think I would have actually avoided a lot of the, a lot of that in the first place because I would have learned money management skills a lot earlier on and uh, um, probably would have could have even hit my financial freedom a lot sooner as well. I love that that's a quote there of paying attention those things that don't pay attention to you pay with pain. Wow, that's quite a oh, yeah, that's powerful. So what other 
tips would you say you've learned from the secrets of the millionaire mind that <laughs> I, I think one of the big ones from that is how we talk to ourselves is important and so you know the, anyone who's ever done any courses with Harvard and this isn't just with Harvard I mean a lot of personal development stuff um you'll come across affirmations and you know to, to a degree like this they seem really trite sometimes when you say these things and it's like does it really does it really change the way you're thinking I think only really if you if you stick with it, if you just do an affirmation for a week, it's, I don't know if it's going to do a lot for you. But if you can actually make that become your go-to response to, to yourself, that means you have to keep repeating it to yourself. Then it starts to become your way of thinking. Like when I first started working for Harv, one of the things that they said was um, that uh, we had to be like, as coaches for Harv, we had to be like his voice. So they wanted clients to be hearing his voice in their coaching sessions. Not that, not to do our best impersonation. I can't, my voice isn't quite as rough as Harv's, and, and I can't do that American accent either. But um, he, uh, his words, his his phrases, to be able to kind of come back with the responses or the the no BS kind of attitude to things, or just saying, "Well, get get this in order," and uh, you know, his uh, take a look at this or get serious about this, wake up without necessarily shouting at people and things like that, but in our own way. And so I. I would say I memorized the secrets of the millionaire mind book. I certainly memorized and mind mapped all of the um, all of the wealth files, all of the affirmations in that book. And because I spent so long with them and I posted them up on my wall, so I had them there all the time and I was saying them all the time to clients, they ended up becoming my go-to responses for myself as well, not just for my clients. And you realize that when when those sorts of responses, when the healthier, more empowered, more responsible approaches are your natural go-to, that your life changes with that as well. That you start to, when you it's like that thing of you hear something enough times, you start to believe it. Um, so that you know could go both ways. But you know, if you're actually feeding your brain positive responses and you're training, retraining yourself, if you like, to um, to go more to those than than your other places, it doesn't guarantee that. That you're always going to have that but it means it's far more likely that that's going to be more like your way of thinking that's really interesting it's it's incredible isn't it how some, one person particularly can influence so many people and and in a, in a positive way mm. we, we've experienced it you know in history what's individuals who have not had good experiences on on large amounts of people but in your better world that you're creating how else are you going to be helping people? My hope is that by aiming to be as authentic as I can in my own life, to be true to who I am, that that helps other people to to be more authentic themselves as well. I think I'd like like to see a world where people know who they are and understand that. Um, you know, I, I aim to bring psychology and philosophy and uh, you know, latest kind of developments and understandings into as much as I do as possible. I take a very scientific approach. In the world of coaching, I'm a bit anomalous to uh, to many other coaches because I'm not into like, um, I'm not really into spirituality or uh, I'm, I'm very practical, very scientific based. And, and that's what I base all my stuff on, uh, stuff that works. So I hope that I, I bring a lot of that to, to people 
people is like uh, a lot of personal development is wishful thinking in my opinion so i'm very much the case of I want stuff that works and that people can show me it works and why it works. And that's what I want to use with people. I don't just want wishy-washy, wishful thinking, or isn't that nice, or don't we feel good about ourselves? And like, go go for a weekend and feel super motivated, then come back to your life. And within a few, probably within a week, you feel just as terrible as you did before you started. That to me shouldn't be what personal development is about. This is about daily working on yourselves as much as possible. And talking about daily working on yourself, do you watch which habits have you adopted that you find have been most useful for you? Gosh, um, I certainly feel that mindfulness and meditation have become a, a significant part of my life. It's saying, me saying I'm not spiritual, but I do meditate, and um, and I do like the whole uh, attitude of mindfulness. I find the like thing like I find the philosophy of Buddhism very interesting, as opposed more perhaps to the religion, but. Um, yeah, I, I say those are things that are, that have come into my life. I like to take time to be peaceful. Um, I, I I don't always do this, but I like I like to unplug. I do love it when I unplug from technology for a while, and uh, I think those are good habits. Uh, one of the biggest ones for me has been reading. I I've become a really avid lifelong learner. I, I think I went through this whole period of my life where I wasn't really reading any books at all. I graduated university and the only books I think I read were ones I had to for jobs and things like manuals and stuff. And then when I got into personal development, this hunger for, for knowledge and information grew up. And, and now I, I read, I consume a lot of audio books and Kindle books and things like that. So I, I probably read at least one or two books a week or listen to them and podcasts on top of that as well well let's have a book off then what's what's been your favorite books that you've read recently or or, or in all time to be fair in all time oh gosh these are big questions amy <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, i'll tell you something i'm uh, at the moment i'm in a, a little study group uh, studying and we're all working together to help ourselves improve on uh, if you've come across Chris Voss's book Never Split the Difference we're studying that we're working through it and even though I've read it several times I've listened to it I've read it and uh, going through it and working through it with a little group of people I'm getting more and more out of it every time we go into it and uh, getting more into this we are actually working on practical application of this stuff there's a big difference between reading a book and putting it into practice and, and this is the stuff of putting it into practice uh, in, in our little group that is making such a such a huge difference and we're all uh, starting to feel like even early even though it's quite early days we're starting to feel like we're getting a lot of insights and already improving our ability as negotiators it's interesting you saying about the the practical element. You said it a couple of times, and and I do I do get what you're saying because a lot of books you read, especially audible ones, and you're not actually in the position at that time to put things into action because you you might right. be driving or you're walking and things. So I often find myself having to buy the physical version of that book and then sitting down with it and going through it properly. Do you find yeah. the same? I do. I, I think, especially with good books, you know, um, there's, I have, I have a lot of thoughts on this and I don't know if we've got time for all of them, but um, yeah, I, this, I find that with Audible, when I listen to a book that I really like, when I get some like great information in it, I know that I'm going to want to have that 
one uh, in another way. Like I'm going to want to have the Kindle book, or if it's especially good, I want to have uh, the physical book as well, so I can make notes in it. And you know, I, I find having those different formats for me to be very, very useful. Uh, you know, the um, Audible has this, uh, or Kindle has this whisper sync thing, so you can um, read and listen at the same time. And I find that very useful, especially when I'm doing research or talking about books. And um, you know, there, there are so many key points there, but I was using Blinkist for a while as well. And I know there's a few similar apps to that, but again, it was just, Blinkist is what I already use audio, Audible for to some degree. Like I can get through a book on two, two and a half, sometimes three times speed, depending on the speed of the narration, and we'll get the so a level of uh, familiarity and understanding to it. And if I really like it, I'll go deeper, like you say, buy the book. Blinkist just kind of gives you these key points. And, and I was kind of finding it wasn't giving me all the key points that I wanted. Um, but I think a lot of people treat that as a replacement for reading the book if you've got the key points. And I think it's not. All this information without actual practical application of it is is somewhat meaningless. It's kind of like a computer storing data. Unless it's actually being used for something, then what's the point? You know, you might get some great ideas. You might keep your brain active and stuff, and that, that's all good. But, um, you know, I think to some degree we need to read stuff, um, especially stuff that is really good quality, to a level of wanting to be able to practically apply it and utilize it in our lives. That's where stuff really makes a bigger difference, in my opinion. Oh, I totally agree. It's it's interesting because I, I keep a daily journal and I'm on day 1,400 today, actually, a nice round number. And what I like about the journal is I read a book and I sort of take my key points on it. And if I look back at that journal, I'll say, oh, that was that was valid at the time. I need to read that book again because I reckon there's going to be some different learnings for where I am right now. And I think that's that's something that is to go back and read the books that you've have resonated with you before, because they might even they'll resonate on a higher level now a few years on. Yeah, uh, I do think. Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, I uh, I know not everybody loves or rates Think and Grow Rich, but it's a book that um, I've got a lot of value from over the years, and, and maybe not a hundred percent of it that I agree with or practice, but certainly lots of stuff in there that I have found very valuable that I revisited enough times. Not so much now. Uh, other books have taken have taken its place. Like I regularly listen to Influence the Psychology of Persuasion, the Robert Cialdini book, and the uh, pre. Um, is it persuasion the persuasion book as well um that followed that followed up from that too those more have become the kind of books that i feel that as someone who is talking about influence and persuasion more i need to know that stuff inside and out so i have to i feel a responsibility to revisit that in kind of information and to know it as well as i can possibly know it and I still find I will go back to things like you say, it depends on where you are at the time. You'll hear something a bit differently or you'll get a new level of understanding on something, especially if you've been applying what you learn. So I keep a spreadsheet. I just reached out to, to get it just then. And it's, it's color coded, obviously, because I like color coding. But I keep a record of the books I've read, but who recommended it to me? Because I find that actually it's quite good to then go back and have a conversation with those people and just have a talk mm. about it because it, you've already got something in common that they've recommended this book to you. I have read 
so many different areas. And I'm like you, I'm, I'm such a lifelong learner. I'm never going to sort of give up the learning. And every time I read a book, it, it sort of has this domino effect of another book coming up or cropping up or yeah. a different topic. Where have you been led with your books? Oh, my goodness. All over the place. Um I think a lot of the uh, a lot of paths I've been down over the last maybe the last five years more than anything else have been a lot of stuff to do with public speaking. Certainly, lots of books to do with uh, influence and persuasion. Just recently, ended up reading a book by a lady called Maria Konnikova, which is uh, the Confidence Game, I think it's called, uh, which is all about confidence tricks. It relates to a lot of the stuff that I that I've been uh, talking about. But you know, in, in, even though it's not a personal development book, it was fascinating for me and um, really useful insights but you know I've, I've ended up reading and studying about religious cults which is a path I didn't expect to go down as well and um, I would say also you know I, I've been pulled into um, more philosophy stuff. I, I really developed a liking for uh, Stoicism and Stoic philosophy, and we're even privileged enough to have uh, a philosopher uh, called Donald Robertson, who's an expert in Stoic philosophy, come on my come on my show just recently. And uh, and it, for me, I know it was an opportunity to kind of sit back and let him talk because it was wonderful. I got completely schooled on Stoic philosophy, and it was a dream. It was uh, for me. It was it was great, even though I didn't have to do very much talking. Yeah, I, I read a book at Christmas. It was one of those free Kindle ones where you get opportunities. And I and I think I chose about three or four different books. And one of them was a book on the Stoics. And actually, it was really fascinating. I was I was totally cap, sort of captivated by listening to them. And and actually, I was going to say, I don't feel a lot of we've actually improved very much. I think we're still thinking the same way. Yeah, it's amazing. I think uh, that in the chat I had with with Donald, that um, so many of the things that were going on, like his recent book is like how to think like a Roman emperor. And so we were talking a lot about that. And it's primarily about Marcus Aurelius, who was like the philosopher king. And so he was a, a man who was actually in power as an emperor, um, but very much a philosopher and also a speaker because the the leaders in those times had to be trained in, in sophistry and public speaking. And we talked about uh, um, some of the battle that was going on in him personally between becoming more of a sort of uh, maybe a more ego-centered sophist and uh, getting more into the philosophy um, because those were the, the main areas that they were taught as well. And uh, that it was the philosophy that primarily won out for him. Um, but it really fascinating, like things that you, you just would never necessarily feel that you would relate to somebody in ancient Rome. Uh, and yet there's so much there that you can, so many of the things that were going on politically, so many of the things that you see in public life, uh, things like talking about public speaking and how some people are all about their egos then, and how um, I think it, he said it was uh, Aristotle who had been saying uh, something about wanting that people should be challenged when they when they hear a message from the stage they shouldn't just go and feel good about themselves they should feel challenged in a way that helps them to grow or see something in a new or different way which is very much where very much where I feel I am and I feel like that's for me personally has been part of my growth you know I, I look and see I wish we were still taught public speaking in schools I wish we were still taught ethics and philosophy in schools uh, as they were in ancient times but those things are which I think are critical for life especially now um have, have mostly disappeared 
Well, we can certainly learn a lot about sort of public speaking through the, the various leaders of the, or the various Roman emperors. They had some great sort of talks. The, the meditations are, are a, wonder, a wonderful read that I've been getting into. But uh, if, you want, uh, if you want books that make Stoicism very accessible, um, certainly Donald Robertson's stuff is very accessible. And um, as, a, as someone who, you know, as you do public speaking yourself, I, I suspect um, you would find his How to Think Like a Roman Emperor book very interesting and um you know, he talks about like some of the roots of rhetoric and and rhetoricians and um yeah you know, lots of very uh, interesting stuff that goes right back to the roots of early public speaking and it's all about the power of three <laughs> yeah that yeah that, that's certainly a, a big part a big part of it as well i, I love I, you know talking about where books have led you a lot of books have led me to learning more about rhetoric and rhetorical devices and being able to understand them more and how they're used and applied because they're a big part of influence and persuasion as well well it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show john it's it's been great we i feel like we've we've been on our own journey around the world you know you've, your flight attendants all there <laughs> You've taken me all across all different topics. It's been fantastic. How would people get in contact with you? Well, one of the best places to get in touch with me is on LinkedIn. So you can always find me there. I'm probably more active there than anywhere else. But uh, you can also find my website, which is presentinfluence.com. And uh, to contact me, it's just john at presentinfluence.com. Very easy to remember. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute joy having you on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. Have you got a final word for the audience, please, John? I, I think one thing that I, I feel is most important in life is to not just to keep learning, but to keep putting the stuff into practice, because it was uh, reportedly Lao Tzu who said to know and not to do is to not truly know. So whatever you learn, aim to put it into practice as well. Do something with it. Otherwise, it's just learning for the sake of learning. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrollinson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.